guys, and welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. We're back. I'm Josh. That's Sammy. There's Jenna, who's not speaking. But (laughs) the team is back together, guys. I don't want to tell you that Jenna's never... That there's no one yet. Keep no, we, there's someone I heard there. her. I just heard her. Gosh, um, there's no one there. <laughs> apologies, guys. There's been a uh, we took a, a couple weeks off um, in the transitional phase. We're uh, kind of um, in between our friends at Earwolf and uh, on the way to the MTV Podcast Network. Um, but happy to say the podcast is back um, and nothing's changed. We're all we're all just talking to the great American and international oh. actors and directors and yada yada. What do you got, Sammy? What? Nothing's changed for the audience, but for us, we're in a different office. Oh, that's true. I've yeah. moved offices, so... The vibe feels different on that end. <laughs> That's just... We're trying to figure out... Yeah, we're trying to still space. figure out the new space. What else has changed? Um, not much. Well, I do want to say I haven't had a chance. Part of the reason I took a couple weeks off was um, I've been busy kind of launching a new series that I'm very excited about that we... Um, that uh, I co-created and, and co-wrote called Junketeers that if you guys are, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of mine, bless you, you're a wonderful human being, then perhaps you'll enjoy uh, the series that I have done for Comedy Central Digital called Junketeers. It's on their YouTube channel, search Junketeers, and basically, long story short, it's a scripted comedy that takes place in kind of the world that I've inhabited for a decade, i.e., Film junkets, red carpets, tons of guest stars, everybody from uh, Kristen Bell and Chloe Grace Moretz and Josh Dumel and Eli Roth and Gillian Jacobs, yada, yada, yada. It's very funny. Thank you, it Sammy. It really is Thank very you. funny. Sammy and Jenna were both at our, we had a little a New York uh, gathering, a little friends and family, colleagues uh, kind of uh, um, premiere in New York. We had an amazing premiere in L.A. Dr. Drew was there. It was, oh it was a major event. <laughs> It turned into an intervention for Josh. <laughs> I didn't realize he, he actually wasn't there for the premiere. He was yeah. there to just curb my problem. But either two birds, Whatever. one stone. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but no, I'm so um, proud of uh, that show. And there are eight episodes up and um, been working on it for a long time. I haven't been talking about it because we purposely kind of decided to launch it kind of all at once as a surprise. So... Um, as I said, if you enjoy these kinds of interviews, you enjoy my uh, silly uh, sense of humor, I, I know for a fact you'll enjoy Junketeers. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, as for the podcast, Happy, Sad, Confused, this who week... Who do we got? Who do we got? This week we got um, uh, an amazing... Uh, he, oh, we, we, we talked at length. He called himself kind of like a, a journeyman actor, and he is that, but he's also a great character actor. He uh, can be a great leading man. He's just a force. Uh, Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang... Um, whether you know his name or not, you should know his name. But he's probably best known in recent years as uh, Quaritch in Avatar, kind of the bad guy, the bad military dude in Avatar. Made such a great impression in that film. And um, has he's had a, a hell of a career. He's been around forever. He, um, uh, we talk at length about his early theater work. He was uh, in the Death of a Salesman production with Dustin Hoffman and John Malkovich. Um, he uh, has worked with Michael Mann a bunch of times. Um, he's he's one of these guys that like is a, a consummate New York theater guy, and you can kind of fit him in any role, and he'll always deliver. He's got um, two films, actually, that are about to come out. One is a real passion project that we talk about called Beyond Glory, which is a... Um, it's basically based on a book, and it's, it's a one-man play brought to the screen, which he plays eight different Medal of Honor winners. So it's, it's a really impressive feat of acting, to say the least. The other, kind of the more commercial prospect that you guys probably have heard of that's about to open is a movie called Don't Breathe, uh, which is like a really great thriller. It's, um, it's, it's directed by Fede Alvarez, who directed the Evil Dead remake recently. I saw it last night, and it so works with an audience. It is one of those things where you're going to be like... scared? I got a little scared. I, wa- I, hear, I don't know what you're, you're like. Uh, do you cover your eyes when you're watching like a, like a, like a thriller? Like when you, when you know a scare is coming, how do you I'll prepare do yourself? It, like, I'll put my, both my hands over my eyes but sort of like cross-lock my fingers so uh-huh. I can peek through like little cracks. See, I, I, do, I do it much more dignified. I don't raise the hands in front of me. I will like kind of like cock my head down as if like I have like some kind of in my neck or something, right. and, and like I don't want to actually admit that I have to cover my eyes, but I basically will just like no. So turn away. behind you will be like, oh, is what? he throwing up? Yeah, is he having his... a stroke? Nope, <laughs> yeah. I'm just watching a scary movie. Yeah. So that this is definitely that. A lot of great scares. Um, he plays 
Um, if you've seen the trailer, you know it. But if you haven't, it's basically a, a bunch of teenagers break into a uh, blind veteran's house. And they make the misfortune of breaking into the, the wrong, wrong dude's house. The wrong blind veteran. <laughs> Stephen Lang is the wrong guy to burglarize. Trust me. Um, and it, it, it truly is a really uh, taut thriller it's like it's it's it it just it works as like a a great piece of filmmaking and um i think it's gonna be a crowd pleaser i think it'll make uh but loads of money Mm -hmm. um anyway so Stephen lang uh super cool guy he's one of the first guys we ever did an after hours with so he's always got such a got a place in my heart yeah what a special thing yeah he is and he's he's somebody that i definitely consider a friend of the show, friend of After Hours, a friend of mine. He goes by Slang, by the way. I thought you were kidding when you were like, Slang was here. And I was like, oh, look at Josh doing no, doing the name. He, 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 he kind of goes by Slang uh, to uh, friends uh, uh, in recent years. So, you know what? I feel like we're at that point. I'm going to call him Slang. Does he say, like, you are now able to call me Slang? Yeah, in fact, we do address that in this. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've entered Slang territory. Wow. I would hope so. It, the Avatar year, I, in, I interviewed him probably... Any Avatar talk? Do we get any Avatar talk? A lot of Avatar talk. Mm -hmm. A lot of Avatar sequel talk. That's what I'm talking about. about. He's also been rumored, kind of fan-casted, to play Cable, this character in the Deadpool universe. So Cable is this major comic character that's going to be in the next Deadpool movie. And fans... Uh, really think he would make a great cable because he actually looks the part. He, he really does. He's kind of like the grizzled kind of badass. Um, and uh, he would be an amazing cable. He himself is kind of hedging his bets. He doesn't think he'll actually get the part, but it would be kind of cool if he does. Um, so we talk a bunch about that and uh, a whole lot more. I'm really happy we're, we're back in the podcast zone. Uh, some cool guests coming up. But um, in the meantime, anything else, Sammy? What else? No, should I test spoil some of the guests coming up? No, we, we've been over this. <laughs> it. I always forget whether it's absolutely right. don't or absolutely do. It's uh, like, ugh. Jack Nicholson, <laughs> the Pope. Ooh, uh, Obama. <laughs> Malia, not Barack. Yes. The interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who the cares cool about the dad? Yeah. Um, no, some cool folks coming up. Um, but for now, let's not worry about the future, guys. Let's live in the moment mm-hmm. and enjoy this conversation. It's slang time. It's slang time. <laughs> uh, hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, the great Stephen Lang. Bye, guys. I shouldn't say bye. You're about to hear my voice like in five seconds. I, I'll say bye. Okay, say bye. Signing off. Bye. See you in five seconds. <laughs> I, I've welcomed to the office someone that I've known for many years. Uh, thankfully, uh, James Cameron brought us together many years ago, and I feel like we talked about ten times that amazing year yeah. of Avatar, and it's been good to get to know you over the years and follow your work. And, and Stephen Lang, thanks for being here today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for, for speaking with me, Josh. So um, there's a lot to cover. Uh, the beauty of this podcast is we have some time to kind of luxuriate in your wonderful career and, <laughs> <laughs> and make oh you my, cry oh and, you know, goodness. like go Barbara Walters on you. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know where to begin. Maybe, um, well, I, I mean, I always appreciate a fellow New Yorker, and you are. You're born and bred New Yorker, as far as I know. Indeed, I am. Have you ever lived in L.A.? Did you ever, like, spend, did you ever make the trip out there? And Well, I've never, I mean, I bought a place out there years ago. I bought a little bungalow uh, on in in on the edge of Santa Monica, back actually back when it was sort of gangbanger territory, and um, I was never there. I you know I I I I loved it, but I wasn't there, and I I worried about it. I'd lend it to friends. I didn't want to rent it mm-hmm. because renters' rights are so so strong. In Santa Monica, that right. I, you can't get them out. Apparently, <laughs> once so, they're in, they're out. And they're also, in there I, I bought it from you know for myself, but I ended up selling it. And yeah. so much of my work has been elsewhere. Right. I mean, uh, I'm I'm sorry I sold it now because my oldest son Danny, he lives out there and works uh, in the industry out there. And right. He could have had it, but no, I, I really like I like L.A. very much. Yeah. Um, and we will be out there for an extended period of time over the next couple of years because Avatar, a lot of Avatar will be shooting in Manhattan Beach. Gotcha. And uh, that's going to go on for a good long time. I mean, do, do you think that, um, I think well, I think I've referenced this with you at some point in, in, in our conversations, that you are, in fact, the second Lang that I've interviewed in my career. I actually interviewed your dad oh. when I was uh, like a child reporter here in the city. And um, for those that don't know, uh, Eugene Lang, Stephen's father, uh, a very well-regarded um, philanthropist, entrepreneur, and um, I remember I, I, 
I and some other young people talked to him about the, I think it was the I Have a Dream sure. Foundation. Sure, Which was I this have a dream. amazing. Still going strong. Fantastic. Which would, I guess, I mean, you know better than me, but it would basically fund kids from the start to get them all the way through through college or get the, or pay for their college education. Well, it does, actually. but it really, it, it's so much more than that. It mentors children, mentors children from a very early age and sees them right through college. Uh, and um, it was, he founded it, he founded it in 1981, and uh, it's still going strong and has made a difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of kids all over the country because there are dreamers all over the country. And, of course, that always has a, it has a, uh, I guess, a geometric effect because it, it, it also, what's good for the child is good for the family, of sure. course. And so, yeah, uh, I was with my dad yesterday. He's 97 years old. Amazing. He's not, he's lost a lot, yeah. but he's still with us. And, uh, Fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. You it's talk not... about a New Yorker. Yeah. He is a New Yorker. Well, how did that, I mean, you know, it's hard to encapsulate it in, in a soundbite, and this isn't about soundbites, but like, how did growing up in New York and, and being the son of a New Yorker, a quintessential New Yorker, do you think define you, define your worldview? I mean, how do you think it sort of still influences you? That's a really, it's a terrific question. Um, well, first of all, the first word that came to mind is it toughens you up a bit. Um, New York has, a, there's a toughness to New York, which is not to say a meanness uh, or, a, or a brutality. I mean, all of these things exist everywhere. But I think New York is, is you, you need to be a resilient person right. uh, to, to, to really be a New Yorker. But I think that the other thing that I recall that was so important was being surrounded by the, a diversity of people all my life, yep. you know, and um, that um, <laughs> it just, I was, a, I had classmates of every stripe, every color, every religion. And uh, that was the norm. And um, so New York is a place unto itself in that way. I mean, it's the first place. It's when you think about coming to this country, immigrating to this country. Yeah. uh, You know, we think of the statue. Exactly. The lady in the harbor and and what it means. Did... um were the arts something that was prevalent in your family? Did you, was theater a, a, a regular practice? Or give me a sense of sort of... Well, you know, my, my grandfather was a foreman in the, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and my grandmother was a school teacher. But, and so they didn't make a lot of money, but they, they did, a, you know, they raised a family, and they both loved the opera. And that's the first thing that I really uh, remember culturally was mm. that they loved the opera. I grew up really detesting opera. <laughs> I was going to say, I haven't seen your really, opera. Really, How's really your singing voice? <laughs> oh, I sing like a boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, truly. I yeah. can, oh, I can sing. Oh, baby, I'm just waiting have to you done, do a Have musical. you done a musical on Broadway? Or well, I, so I, I, I keep workshopping this musical, but, but someday they'll let me. When I'm, when I'm old and I do the character <laughs> songs, you know. And Amazing. Sort of, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, from there, and of course my... Uh, Yes, there was a great appreciation for the arts in my in, in my family. Uh, my mother loved the theater, and um, and so I and I just fell for it. I love the movies, mm-hmm. and I love and I love the theater. So, yeah, it was encouraged. What did they What did they make of it when you, if there was like a defining time where you said, "I'm going to make a go of this," were they encouraging? And and when did you kind of make that decision? Well, you know, I'm way? the youngest of three. And my my sister's an attorney, was an attorney, and uh, retired now. And my brother, a businessman. By the time they got to me, it was like, yeah, yeah, do whatever. He's the yeah, bonus. Yeah, you know, cool. are, are you the youngest of three? You said I'm the youngest. Yeah, I'm the youngest so of three. Like, myself. Yeah, do yeah, get it. Yeah, sure, give it a shot. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. Uh, so they were very, they were supportive I, yeah. uh, of it. I think. I think they were. Nervous in a way, but not exceedingly so. They, mm-hmm. they thought you'll do all right. You know, was there a moment do you think that legitimized, if not for yourself, for family and friends, your career? Well, you kind of look at everything that from I think back on the on the first roles I had, which were essentially spear carrying roles. Mm-hmm. I remember my debut in New York was in in Central Park, uh, Shakespeare in the Park, oh, wow. uh, w- with Sam Waterston as Hamlet, and <laughs> I had lines. I, 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 you know, I, I had lines in the show, and it was, 
I'm I'm working in the New York theater, and this is at a time in the 70s, 74, when when Joe Papp, which name may mean something to some of your listeners, but it won't. But Joe Papp was the titan, the god of New York theater to work to work for the New York Shakespeare Festival. And so that was a great coup. But undoubtedly, you got to kind of then kind of fast forward to uh, 1983 when uh, I'd been in the theater at that point for about 10 years, and I was cast as Happy in Dustin Hoffman's Death of a Salesman. Right. And that was that was gargantuan. So, so that, that was, was the seal of approval. I, I would think. And uh, gargantuan performances all around. I mean, Malkovich was in that production as well, exactly. as I recall, right? Sure. Um, adapted into or, or filmed for like a television production, as I recall. They made a, CBS made a film directed by Volker Schlondorf, which is seen, I think, in many, many schools. Right. Uh, the last I heard, Death of a Salesman has not been banned, you know. Um, and... Um, it's uh, it's it's quite a splendid film, and that is a that's a very interesting hybrid of theater and film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that movie, and they they did a great job with. Which that. we're gonna uh, dovetail into Beyond Glory, which does a, a, another interesting uh, recreation of something you've been doing for a while on the stage. But in terms of um, even before or, or that Sam Watterson experience and the Dustin Hoffman, the Death of a Salesman experience, I'm curious, was there like a first? Um, role or collaboration with a actor or director that made a huge mark for you? I mean, uh, in terms of like, oh, this is how, this is what I want to emulate. This is who I want to work with. This is the kind of career that I aspire to. When I was very young, I wanted to be a member of the Doily Cart Opera Company, which was based in London and they produced, they were famous for Gilbert and Sullivan. Mm. And I, as a child, I was one of those nutty guys who's a Gilbert and Sullivan aficionado. <laughs> Still am, I confess. And uh, I wrote a letter to Bridget Doily Cart, who ran the company, and she kind of made me an a, sort of a, a mascot of the company, as it were, mm. which meant that when they came to New York, which they did every other year, I think, and they played at City Center, um, I would get tickets and... Uh, and I would be taken backstage to meet the artists, and that was the first time I was backstage in a in a major theater, and um, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the darkness and the sandbags and the ropes and everything. I just uh, I like being backstage. I probably was actually born to be a stagehand rather than, a, <laughs> than an actor, but um, so that was important to me. That was my uh, experience, just being on a stage. I felt this is where I belong. Yeah. And then uh, in high school, I had a very, uh, I had a guy, the guy who taught theater there also taught religion, which was interesting because he, he was a very good teacher. And, you know, in high school, when you're 15 or 16 years old, what you're really, what it's really about is not so much technique about learning to act, it's being inspired, right. is what it's about, being inspired with the importance of what you're doing, that what you're doing is, and he, and, and this is where the religion and the theater kind of dovetailed for this guy, was that there was something sacred about about working in the theater. So he kind of imbued me with that, and and that kind of carried forth. So in, in falling of with, with theater, um, the transition or, or or whatever to to trying to get your face in front of a camera mm-hmm. and television and film, did it did it feel like what, those first opportunities? Did it feel like um, comforting comfortable or did it feel like this is a totally different art form that i need to figure out it felt as i recall it felt pretty natural once i got by the kind of being awed by it i mean the first feature i did i did with gene hackman ellen burston and margaret i mean really iconic actors and uh i had that uh, you know i just kind of stand there with my mouth open i think but uh, then you, you know, you learn from the best, and yeah. uh, um, and it, it felt pretty organic to me. I'd been at that point when I when I first did my, started working in television and film. I'd been in the business about nine or ten years. Gotcha. I often wonder because I didn't go to Hollywood in the seventies, and of course, 
the 70s is kind of a golden age of film right in a way but i always wanted to be called to hollywood (laughs) (laughs) we request your presence mr exactly (laughs) to to this bungalow here (laughs) and you know and they weren't calling (laughs) so so i was doing whatever I, i i could do but i do wonder if i had i gone out there what would what would my life have been? Sure. And I and sometimes I think at least one possible answer is it would have been ended because I probably would have gotten deeply into, you know, some of the the uh, other pursuits, the yeah, you know, uh, the other stuff that was going on there at yeah. the time, I think. But but maybe not. But in any case, it's all worked out. Yeah, I mean, well. it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, are you kind of like you know philosophical in terms of like how you got to where you're sitting here today in terms of like. As I mentioned at the outset, you know, we got to know each other thanks to Avatar, and much of the world got to know you there. You'd, ha- you'd lived a life, though. You'd had an amazing career already in theater and in television and in film. Um, I would imagine there had to be the frustrations in the decades before of, like, I'm just as good as these other guys. I, sh- I could be a leading man. I, could- I should have these opportunities. I mean... You know, Josh, those frustrations never go away. Yeah. I mean, they still exist. But... As I think you said, philosophical. I'm extremely philosophical. That comes partly with age, I think, partly with, uh, uh, you know, as you get older, I think you do get, hopefully you get a little bit wiser. But uh, listen, I, what, I've, what I always found was the victories, the death of a salesman, the a few good men, the speeds of darkness, the roles that you do get, yeah. you forget all the pain for a little while. You forget the day-to-day pain. Possibly it's a bit like childbirth, you know? <laughs> uh, and, um, but sure, there, were, there, were a lot, there was a lot of... I, the worst thing in the world is to wake up and not have anything on your plate that day. Right. And that can be that way. That, there, I had days like that. Well, maybe that accounts, I mean, not to you know, put you on the couch, but like you are quite a prolific actor. I mean, it seems like you like, you know, you know. I like to work. Yeah, you like to work. I mean, like, when, you know, when the going's good, you take your opportunities. And, yeah. and as you know, there are lean years that for any, for no matter how good you are, yeah. the industry tells you when you're wanted and not wanted. It's out of your control. No, absolutely. And uh, I think it is wise to make hay yeah. while the sun shines. And, but um, the other part of the answer to that question is that by the time Avatar came around, I, m- my career was established. It was, I was, I think, you know, well-regarded. I was what, what I would call, and I think a lot of times this term is used in kind of a, almost a derogatory way, but I don't see it that way at all, is I was a journeyman actor. Sure. And, and you know, I looked up journeyman. And it means it's a hard-working by- person who's good at their job. Right. You know, who... You'll who take that. Of, who, okay, <laughs> and that pretty much defined me. Well, to be honest, I still consider myself a, a journeyman actor. Yeah. And um, I... The, uh, the success of Avatar was not unfamiliar to me because we'd had, I'd had an analogous success with Death of a Salesman. Right. Being part of that. And Death of a Salesman put me in in a play in another place although all the glory in that show really belonged to John to Malkovich right. that's the way it is you right. know and justly so i have no no beef about it i support it love him but you learn from that kind of stuff and so i was i was cool uh, i did i had we all have a streak of envy Sure. And as I think, I, why didn't I get that part? Why didn't I get this? And then when something like Avatar happens, it's almost like the cosmos, everything sort of comes into focus and everything is, you go, oh, that's what all of this was leading to. Right. My goodness, I'm glad I'm still sober. I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm glad I'm, can not, enjoy this. I'm yeah. glad I'm not bitter. Yeah. I'm glad I'm still working hard. And so, uh, and, and I think if I'd had some tremendous success when I was in my 20s or in my 30s, that I probably would have gone, I could have gone off the rails yeah. a bit. But for it to happen to me when I was in my mid-50s, it just felt really great. I'm sure. Well, know? and also I would think it kind of, a success like that 
clarifies your priorities a bit. And that kind of brings us to kind of where we're at today with something like not only don't breathe, but more especially something like beyond glory, which is clearly, you know, the cliche, a passion project, but this clearly is a passion project, something that you've brought to the stage um, hundreds of times Mm -hmm. in every different conceivable city and country. Um, was it important to you in the wake of Avatar? Because by then you'd already been performing this production for a while, right? To kind of, again, use this kind of new juice that you had and be like, okay, maybe now's the time I can actually bring this passion project to the screen and really um, bring it to a whole wider audience. It's a, what happened was, um, you know, I got Avatar quite specifically because of Beyond Glory. Uh, quite quite because Jim Cameron, uh, because Margie Simpkin, Jim Cameron's casting director, saw the ad in the New York Times of, be, of the play Beyond Glory, which was about to open at the Roundabout Theater on 46th Street. And, she, and in, in the ad, I'm in a, a military, and I look strack. And she said, huh, hey, Jim, <laughs> Jim, do you, know, uh, do you know Stephen Lang? And he went, oh, yeah, really good actor. Read for me for, a- you know, Jim's got a yes. steel trap of a memory. Read for me for aliens, did a really, really good job. This has all been recounted to me by both Jim and Margie. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe I should have cast him. Well, whatever. He did a great job, though. Why? And she shows him the picture, and they both said, he goes, oh, Quaritch. <laughs> and that's how the call came. So beyond, and, but, but just to just go back a little sure, bit, yeah. Beyond Glory itself, the play, came out, was the result of the failure of Gods and Generals, which was my shot. A huge role for you, very well-regarded role for those that have seen it, but mm-hmm. what, it was not the commercial success that It you... was not a commercial success, but beyond that, in many ways, the film was reviled because it recounted... It's a, it's a Civil War film in which I play Stonewall Jackson. Right. Uh, Robert Duvall played Robert E. Lee, and, of course, Bob Duvall is... Uh, there's no actor who I, I have a higher regard for than Robert Duvall. Sure. Um, and it was, a experience, it was an incredible experience making this film. The, I took such pride in the effort we put into it and in the product itself, which is a flawed product. But politic, the, the film was ill-regarded for many, many, for a number of reasons, some of which are legitimate, some of which are bogus, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. But the, the, the point is, this was a big, big movie for me, and it fell with a thud. And I began, had to really rethink, kind of evaluate my position in this business. I mean, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe that was it. What are you going to do now? Because I can't do any better than that right. when it comes to acting, you know, and my phone ain't ringing. And that was when I, I out of necessity... I kind of felt, you need to take advantage a little. You need to show some initiative. You need to, you need to take uh, responsibility for your own career to the extent that you can. Yeah. So I was looking for something, some subject, either to write about or to direct or whatever. And this book that had not been published yet, Beyond Glory, by a journalist, Larry Smith, who I played basketball with, and uh, he was a casual acquaintance, came into, I read this, and then I just started working on the thing, and it all happened very, very quickly. I had something that I needed to get out. And and I would think, I mean, from, I mean, it, it checks off so many boxes. From your perspective, I would think just as an actor, for those that don't know, this is, really an amazing performance piece in that essentially it's 80 minutes i think eight roles basically it's eight roles in 80 uninterrupted minutes in which i play eight medal of honor recipients from world war ii korea and vietnam uh of all um they are men of different wars men of different services and men of different ethnicities and so it's uh, it was conceived to be uh, uh a tour de force for an actor, it was. I, I did it. I wanted to do something I wasn't sure I could do. I wanted to do something that, in fact, I knew I couldn't do. Yeah. And so that's why, why I did it. And uh, it's been, as as you pointed out, a very personal work for me. Something that I've returned to yeah. over and over again. 
And the idea of filming it, the first time I wanted to film it, really, was when we were... Well, for, I, I was touring it in 2005 in uh, Iraq and the Persian Gulf and uh, to troops at the DMZ in Korea, and so many times I was wishing that I, it was being filmed. And that, that may be just kind of, you know, vanity in a way, because I, these experiences were so personally sure. important to me. But then when we were doing... Um, Avatar, when I first got introduced, started working in motion capture, I thought, oh, God, this motion capture would work so <laughs> great for Beyond Glory. I could, they could morph me into so all true. these things. It would be extraordinary. And one night, Lan John Landau, who was the producer of Beyond Glory, we were having dinner in, in Los Angeles, and I was telling him about this and that I really had a dream to make this movie. And he said to me, the thing is, Frank, um, it costs a million dollars a minute to do the, to do the, the, the mocap you know, of your face. So how long is your show? 80 minutes. Okay. So it's we just a, did a so very easy budget there. We figured it out. $80 million dollar film there, okay? I, I think, you know... No, but, you know, and John Landau, interestingly, you know, his parents, the Landau's, Eli, and I, I can't remember his mother's name, they were producers back in the 60s and 70s, and they did a thing called the American Film Theater, hmm. where they filmed theater. They did Iceman Cometh with Lee Marvin, and they did Luther with Stacey Keach. They did a number of things, and I saw them all, and they were terrific. Uh, so he knows from theater and film, right. and he said the virtue of this thing is the, 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 the performance, the live performance. You want to film that? That's fine, blah, 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 blah. So John was always very supportive of the project, as was, as was Jim. And, and in any case, that was my first, I wanted to do mocap. In the end, I had retired the piece for a while because I'd done it so much, then in 2013, uh, this, the, these booking guys came to me and said, um, you know what, this show will play all over the country. We'd really like to book it. And, and they were good guys, and so I let them book a tour, and we went out and we took it to the heartland of America, played every place from Milwaukee to Texarkana <laughs> to Aiken, South Carolina, and it was old-time theater. It was great. And nice. I hadn't done the show in a while. I mean, you're literally out there with a trunk. It like, doesn't get there any more basic than that. I traveled with a stage manager, um, and my wife came along, Tina came along, which made it great. And we had a lot of fun. It was hard work and a lot of laughs, but it was a finite thing. We did like 22 dates in, you know, uh, three weeks or right. something like that. Gone all the hell over America. And people were really, really enjoying it. And so, and then after that, I took it um, on tour again for the military. Since I'd learned the piece again, I, I called my friends in the, in the Navy. Mm. They're very, very good about getting stuff together. <laughs> and said, you know, I'm doing this again. And they said, bring it over, please. And so we took it to Afghanistan, and we began filming it. And so we amassed a lot of footage and... Finally, I decided this is, we're going to make a movie. This is a movie. We're going to make a. I don't know. I can't make the movie, but somebody's going to make a movie. I had worked on two films with a company, eighty one eighty. I did a film called Christina and a, a, a film called uh, The Girl on the Train, different mm -hmm. than the big one that's right. coming out. Both uh, written and directed by Larry Brand, who and uh, produced by. Uh, Jim Carpenter and Rebecca Reynolds, who comprise 8180 films. So I called them. I said, I want you to, I want you to produce this, make this movie. And they said, okay. <laughs> and Larry came in, and he did, he directed it. And he edited it. You know, this, and he's, his list is directed and edited by Larry Brown because so much of this is in the editing. Cross-cutting between different locales, exactly. different backstage scenes, et cetera. And it makes it feel dynamic. I mean, as you said, like it, it, it works just as like a performance piece and just I'm, actors are going to just die watching this, like, for, like aspiring actors to see what you do here. But um, I think it's smart in terms of the way it does feel like it has a scope. It has a dynamism that maybe some transfers from theater to film don't have don't have it's hard it's hard yeah. to do and particularly a solo show yeah right which is a form of direct address to the, to an audience right uh so but larry 
And one of the first things he said to me was, we, we need to do a green screen performance of this, which I had not done. So forget about mocap, but green screen we can afford. <laughs> and we went out to L.A., and we, uh, we were in this tidy little studio, and um, uh, it was being produced at that point also by my son, Noah, who's a prolific producer, and my boy Danny was you know, key gripping in the show, so it was a real family wow. affair. Yeah. And we did green. We did uh, green screen performance. I did two performances in that day on green screen, which enabled Larry to create all these kind of kicky, uh, arty mm-hmm. sort of environments, which are some of them are quite specific. Some of them are are not. Right. You know, some of them are, are 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 a little more abstract. Right. And I I I found it very pleasing what he did. And as you say, it, it kind of. In a way, there's a lot of cinematic finesse yes. that goes in, in, into making this film because you're taking 80 minutes of one guy talking and turning it into something that's visually, you know, interesting yeah. as well. Well, I, th- so. I think I think the hope, and I, and I and I have a feeling it will be like in a kind of a similar way. We were talking about that production of Death of a Salesman that was transferred into television and and plays to this day in classrooms around. Uh, I have a feeling this is something that we'll be able to. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a small release. It's a labor of love, and it will. I think it will find an audience soon when it's out. But I think it's also something that will play hopefully for years to come. For yeah, me. thank you. Uh, good. And I just feel I'm just well. I'm glad the damn thing's done. Yeah, I'm sure for you. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's been a long process. You never have to do it again. You're like, well, go I to the videotape. Way, but the... <laughs> I, I probably will. Right. Is the thing, you know. But but not right now. The um the other thing that that we need to talk about because I just watched it last night is your uh, uh film Don't Breathe, which um is it's it, it, it's it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition between that and Beyond Glory because you know we're talking about the cinematic. Uh, prowess of of Biongorium and transferring something that's that's relatively simple and stage bound to to film terms. Um, Fede Alvarez, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Yes, hopefully, you are. Um, who did the Evil Dead remake, which I was a big fan of, has directed this one, and it's it's just a consummate thriller, and hmm. it's just like it's 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 clearly just a guy that knows cinematic language so damn well he's like you know it's maybe overstating it to say it but like i was when i was watching it i was like this is like a hitchcock film this is this is like somebody that just knows how to use every everything in the toolkit um you play a blind vet who um some young uh some some teenagers have the misfortune of breaking into the wrong house and um uh insanity ensues and and watching it with an audience by the way it was a it was a full theater um it was it was thrilling because it was it was one of those things where like the audience members are so identifying <laughs> with whoever's perspective it is and right. talking to the screen and it's right. it's a really fun smart film and and another fine performance to, I, I guess just to talk to me a little bit about I mean the challenges of this one on the flip side the other one is so it's sort of certainly Beyond Glory has a lot of physicality but it's so dialogue driven this one you up until two-thirds into it, you basically grunt and scream a couple times, but there's almost no dialogue. It's a silent performance. That's one of the things that attracted me to it, yeah. I think. Uh, and you're right about Fede Alvarez. Fede, he, 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 he's a master. I mean, and he's young, and we shouldn't pin that on him right, right. now, but his command of the toolbox of cinematic uh, language, opportunity, potential, is really quite extraordinary. I think, and um, he's uh, and he's a hell of a lot of fun to work with. Is that right? As well, yeah. It would yeah. seem. I, I feel uh, sorry for Jane uh, Levy, who's his uh, leading lady in two consecutive films. He puts her through the ringer, puts all his actors through the ringer. Yeah. yeah. Um, a physical performance, to say the least. I mean, you, you know, I, I, I would think you you embrace physicality, you enjoy physical roles. It would seem. Mm. Um, is is it as rewarding in its own way as something like? I love Lord? this film. I'm very proud of this film. I, uh, I'm I, I, I'm very happy to talk about, go out and talk about this film because I think he did such a great job. It is well. You said Hitchcock. I read one review. They're calling it now. They're using it as it's Hitchcock on crack. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take, you take that. And you know what? It kind of is. It kind of is. I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the. Um, the physical nature of it, I'd never played blind before. I hadn't done that. So that was intriguing to me. And you have to enter into that, particularly in this day and age, with a real um, measure of uh, respect sure. to do that because we live in a time, because there are many 
there are blind actors who will wonder why am I not playing that role, and I can't answer that question. Right. Philosophically, I do believe every actor should be able to play anything. It's part of what we do. Being blind is part of my toolkit right. as well. But in any case, that's a, another discussion. I'd never done it, and so I was challenged by that and, um, and you know, figured out ways to give myself so much of, of playing a role is about having the confidence to play the role. It's just about developing confidence right. to take that leap of faith that's necessary. So I kind of created things for myself that would m m give me that confidence, which had to do with getting to know the geography of that house yeah. very, very well by counting steps, by spending a lot of time in there, which meant that I actually could flow through that house like Bruce the Shark <laughs> or something. Um, I... Uh, and, and in other ways, I, I did stuff that's perfectly normal for me. I, in my dressing room, I lifted weights, but I did it blind. Mm. I did yoga blind, which is really hard. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, I just, I, and what I did was, there are all kinds of directors. You have all kinds of relationships. There are many directors who kind of set you loose. And then there are directors who tighten the noose. Yeah. On you. And with Fede, it was a very, very intimate relationship because it really had to do with, for want of a better term, selling blindness. And so much of the time that has to do with just the direction you're looking, with the cock of the head, with, you know, the slightly inappropriate movement, whatever, you know, sure, whatever sure. it may be. And that's something that I can feel. But he can really see. Right. And if he's feeling it, and he sees it, so, so many times Fatty would say to me, lift your head a little bit now. No, no, don't open, don't open the eye there. Keep well, it lazy. You know, it's it's like interesting that. because like in, in watching it, like one thing that I was kind of anticipating and I'm kind of thankful it didn't go to this extreme was like this guy's going to be almost like like um, supernaturally right. gifted, like, like a blind ninja. And he, I mean while he's exceptionally talented and has amazing skills, he, he's still blind and he's still – there are impediments and he's still bumping into – you know, I mean it's just the nature of – I mean you can't – you can – Compensate in only so many ways. Well, that's th we we certainly didn't want to make him daredevil, right? And uh, and as I so, it, it is important to realize that it's only within the confines of of his own right. little self-imposed exile, his kingdom there, that he has the ability to move that way. When you see him out on the street, there's a uh, He's lost his power to a decrepitude yeah. or yeah, what yeah, it yeah. is, but there's a vulnerability yeah. to him, I think that that because he's not he's not comfortable, right. particularly comfortable out there at all. So yeah, that was that 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 was very important not to make him super human right. in any way, but to amp him up. We want we needed to have him amped up. No, you're uh, yes, you, you you can play intimidating and and. Uh, um, Dare I say it's scary pretty well, sir. Dare I say, <laughs> dare I say it's dare scary? Dare I say it's scary. Yeah. Well, you've said it, haven't you? I've said it, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Lang. By the way, I know you go by a slang to many. Uh -huh. when, when did that start? Was that all the way back to childhood? or when did No, it's not childhood. It's about 15 years ago or something. And uh, dare I say, dare I tell this story? You bring yes, out, I you, will. You bring out the actor in me, Stephen. Shall I? Me. Shall I? <laughs> dare I go there? <laughs> what happened was... <laughs> Now, remember back in back a long time ago in this interview when we were talking about the dark days yes. in my career? <laughs> well, I believe it was during the dark days of my career. You reinvented yourself a slang. When Stephen Lang wasn't, he wasn't getting work. And so I'm driving with my wife. This is true. This is my, uh, I'm driving with my wife one day. And I said, uh, you know, uh, and I just, you know, I like to bait her anyway. I mean, I've been doing it for years. I said, you know, I'm thinking that it's time I change my name. <laughs> and she goes, uh-huh. I said, I'm thinking it's time to go with the uni name. Like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, Charo. Or, uh, Cher or, uh, you know, Liberace. And she goes, uh-huh. And I said, I'm thinking, <clears throat> I'm thinking that I should change my name to uh, 
slang. <laughs> Silence. I like it. <laughs> I almost hit a tree. <laughs> what? <laughs> you do? And then, and then she says, slang. All lowercase? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. She said, okay. And so, so, so that's... That was the genesis. <laughs> Please, of, I of really it. hope uh, Avatar Two. You're credited as Swank. Well, I think that's hard to do. <laughs> I've tried to. I've tried to get myself credited that way. When and they said, No, 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 no. You know, you're known to maybe who, it's and introducing Swank because you're kind of reintroducing <laughs> yourself. It's a new guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's the story. I hope I don't. I hope I don't live to regret having told this no, story. I love it. I love Is it. it okay to? You know, people, you grow up, you want a name, right? You yeah. Know, some guys I went want through to be a phase called Lefty. A, yeah, totally. I went through you know? a phase. I wanted to be called Max for like a year when I was a child for exactly. no discernible reason. Exactly. And you know what? You know, the thing is that it's taken. It's taken root. Right. And the reason it's taken root is quite simple. People like to say it. <laughs> it's a fun word to say. It is fun. And it can be useful, too, because when we're doing public enemies, yeah. the, we had Stephen Dorff. We had Stephen Graham. No other we slangs. Had, we had a lot of... Uh, we had Stephen, you know. And if Michael went, ah, Stephen! You know, nine of us look up and go, what, 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 what? You know, you know. Let him go, ah, slang. So, so, um, so that's, the, that's the story. I love it. It's, it's as, as wonderful as I had hoped. Um, so Avatar, which I feel badly because ever since we started talking about Avatar, we've been talking about the sequel, and that's seven years ago now. And, um, you should publish a volume. Oh my God! I could I could have all the interviews I've done with all you guys about when's the sequel, what's the start date, everything, everything, everything. But we'll get there. And I was I was actually in, in CinemaCon when when um, James dropped the news that wait, wait what are we at now? Four more sequels. Four. Yeah. It's okay. There are going to be four. four more Avatar movies, which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, that mind cannot be stopped. Um, it's just a big story. I would think. Um, I mean, I guess my question, and again, I know like uh, there's not much to say at this point, but. Have you like read any? Have, is it all him talking to you about it? Have you read a scriptment or I, I know he calls them scriptments or screenplay or anything at this point? Well, let me say this: what I what I think the best thing for me to do is to say something highly articulate, um, very quotable, <laughs> and utterly meaningless. Okay, fair enough. You know, if I'm you, if you, you. If you <laughs> take if you t- and you know the thing and think about it, if you take the highly articulate part of it away, I could be describing the Republican candidate <laughs> for president of the United States. You know, highly quotable and utterly meaningless. Right this there, I've said it. <laughs> Avatar is going to be huge. I wanted to get. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's the greatest. It's the, it's, gra- the it's greatest of the Avatar huge. movies. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yes, I have read. Uh, over 75% of the entire uh, project. Wow. And, you know, the, the, the delay has always been the, the, the scope yeah. of the project. And there may, be, there may be delays. You know, one of the things that I, I, I know is that when, when uh, Jim wrote Avatar, the pro- one of the challenges become creating the technology <laughs> that you need to bring the vision to life. Yeah. And so <clears throat> necessity being the mother of invention with him. And that's what a what an exciting uh, and dangerous you know way to work. Yeah. And uh, and I and I'm sure that there is well, having read what I've read. I mean, there are extraordinary challenges. But to get to the articulate and meaningless statement, <laughs> it's it's a pretty um, you know it's it really is a, a, a an a, an epic saga that that unfolds. Uh, on a very majestic planet that, you know, you're going to see unparalleled environments and creatures. And yet, at the same time, Josh, it's extremely intimate and very, very, very emotional. Right. So there I've touched on no, the I, macro and the micro I, and, there, and, and without there was, actually saying anything. There was some substance there and some – because I would agree. I think that's um, – it's interesting. I mean, like, there's been a lot. You know, I, I follow a lot of film discussions. Obviously, as a big film dork myself, um, and like, this happens a, a bunch with a lot of his work. It happened with Titanic to a degree, and it's happened with Avatar, where there's this kind of like, there's a segment of the population now, especially in the kind of like the film nerd community, that kind of like poo-poo's Avatar a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like the highest-grossing movie of all time, so it's hard to poo-poo that. But like, there is something, and I think it's because his films as 
as sophisticated and as as just uh, dynamically visually uh, stirring as they are, they're very earnest films. Actually, mm-hmm. he's like a very classical filmmaker, and and there's nothing without the emotions in his films. And I don't. Know, I, I'm just curious. Have you followed that? Does that river rub you the wrong way when you hear people now, like in retrospect, dismissing like the power of Avatar and saying, "Oh, it wasn't that good. It was Ooh. it was kind of cheesy or whatever." Well, that's got to be just water off. Uh off my back, you yeah. know. Uh, sure, there's always going to be people who do it, and I see it because uh, if something new appears, you know, in the internet about Avatar, I want to see just to see. <laughs> I, you know, I'm waiting for some news too. You know, sure, you know, <laughs> and there invariably are really, really, you know, vicious and negative comments about it. But you know, whatever, it's free country, I right. suppose. I, I, I expect. I know that 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 the project is so. Uh, it's so stunningly exciting and and uh, challenging, and and this this original story that he's telling because this is not you know I, with all I, as much as I adore Lord of the Rings sure. and everything it was that's there's a source material there. This is all out of his brain, yeah. you know, and um, it's quite. It's, it's pretty stunning stuff, I think. Uh, and I think what, what people forget about him is like, I mean, sure, other filmmakers, it might seem like on the surface uh, a cash grab or something, something that doesn't feel like authentically, artistically rewarding. But look at his work. Look at his filmography. This is a guy that like doesn't do anything by halves. He pushes himself to such degrees, has made, you know, two of the best sequels, I think, of mm-hmm. all time. Mm-hmm trust in Jim Cameron. I always say that. I mean, he's proven us, proven the naysayers wrong so many times. Well, if um, you take a film, aside from the sci-fi, if you, I watched Titanic again recently and I am awestruck every time I watch that movie by, because there's a very, uh, there's a very direct through line, but, you, you know, with, with Jack and uh, Rose, Rose yeah. but the, there are at least 40, 30 or 40 ancillary char- characters yeah. whose stories get really, really explored, who, who, who serve the through line right. and who make themselves shine as well. Down to I, even the old couple in the bed. The old I mean, couple uh, in the bed is one of the most beautiful yeah. shots ever. And you know what? That's all you needed to, that shot is all you needed to tell to that their entire story. story. Yep. Yep. Now that's brilliant filmmaking, yeah. it seems to me. Uh, so yeah, so, so uh, as I said, you're always a busy guy. I think you you just did you just shoot something with Scott Cooper? Who's I a, did Scott Cooper. He you know I did Black I, Mass. Who he did, did Black Mass? He did uh, Out of the Furnace. Out of the Furnace. Yeah, and he did his first one was Crazy Heart, sure. which was Jeff's Oscar, Academy yeah. Award. Mm-hmm. And I I've watched Scott with great interest and pride because Scott was. Um, when I did Gods and the aforementioned Gods and Generals, Scott was a young actor, really a fledgling, just out of the nest, and he was on my staff. And I remember very well the exactitude, meticulous quality of the work that he did, even though it was very, you know it was not a big part. Sure, he was he was right in there, and I I, I like I marked him as a as a good one. And then lo and behold, he becomes a director. So I was off somewhere. I followed him, and he uh, he called me and said, um, Stephen, because uh, he calls me Stephen. So it hasn't gone on with the program yet? Now Nobody he has. knows. Come on. He did. He did on the shoot <laughs> when I refused to answer. You know. No. Uh, he said, I, when I was writing this role, uh, I heard your voice. Now, it's a really important role, although it's not, not a huge role. Can I send it to you? And I said, Scott, you can send it to me, but I'll tell you right now, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm on your team. And uh, and I went out, and it was one long, lovely nine-page scene with myself, Christian Bale, and Bill Camp. Oh, wow. I mean, and those are, that's a pair of actors. Yeah, Bill Camp, who's having a kind of, a, speaking of like a character actor, who's kind of having a moment in recent years. He's popping up everywhere. Bill is terrific. Yeah. Ter- I've admired his work for many years. Yeah, and, uh, I think I just, I just, he was just on stage here um, in the well, Crucible. Well, he did Crucible. Yeah, someone yeah, nominated for Tony this year. That's right. 
so uh, it was a great pleasure to, to be out there with him. He told me he'd called for Black Mass, but I was unavailable. And so I'm glad he's put in the call. And I'll tell you what, I'm really glad I was nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> You're Back part in the of the company. Days. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he's clearly an actor's director, as they say. Uh, I mean, he's... Drawing yeah. quite a quite a company around him. Yeah, uh, it's a fine cast. I think it's going to be a uh, should be a very interesting movie. And Bale, of course, I'm very very. I love Bale. We'd work together. Public, public enemies, sure. And he's a terrific actor and a and a, and a hell of a good guy. Too. Yeah, yeah. We've we, we've joked uh, recently when we've seen each other out and about about the cable phenomenon. As you well know, people will keep asking you about this, and I know um, this is not of your own volition. You're just you're just look. If people want to see you as cable, you're you're a service. You're a servant to the masses. Exactly. They, Right. <laughs> this is uh, obviously Cable, the, ca- the comic character that people have kind of um, fan casted you in for years. And now that Deadpool is such a hit there, we are going to see that character in the next film, supposedly. So as I understand it, there's nothing like you haven't talked to Ryan Reynolds or the studio. or anything. <laughs> no, I haven't talked to anybody. You talked to me I about tweeted, it. That's about I, it. <laughs> this is it. I mean, I've, wh- what happened? What, because it kept cropping up. I finally I did one tweet and I because I'm so witty. <laughs> I, I I wrote I wrote. Yeah, let's lay some cable. <laughs> All right, right. It's funny. I'm, yeah, I'm ready. That was it. That's it's it. All it needed. It's all the internet and, needs, man. And it was like, and so it's like he's campaigning for the part. <laughs> and so, uh, so, and of course, we live in a very shameless age where you can campaign for parts. But yeah. I got to tell you, that was the extent of my campaign. But when people do fan art which they do constantly, yeah. where they impose my face on some gargantuan <laughs> sort of, you know, body with a big steel arm right. and a, one weird eye and everything <laughs> like that. If I like it, I retweet it. Why not? It, exactly. The way I figure it, it's a win-win situation <laughs> because if I get the part, good. And I would add, if I get the part, they're going to be really happy. I'm going to do a real, real good oh, job. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Even though I'm old, I'm going to do a real good He's job. Grizzled. He's gri- I'm grizzled. You can play grizzled. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I can do grizzled in my sleep. <laughs> and, and, but if I don't get the part, which would be a terrible <laughs> part, I might add. If I don't get the part, then the fact that I actually am doing four sequels to Avatar makes me feel that I can be magnanimous yes. in defeat yes, and say something <laughs> nice about whoever the hell they give the part to. So you know? no actual conversation with anybody. It's literally just you, no, I'm not speaking. you and me in the internet. I, I haven't been taking their calls. No, no. <laughs> no I don't know. There's <laughs> no com- Listen, dude, it's the same studio as Avatar. Right, I mean, right. somebody's going to figure out, like, <laughs> well, uh, you know. Uh, no, so I, I would say it's a okay. it's a long shot, but hey, you never know. Never Stranger know. things have happened. Right? Have you have you talked to? I'm surprised we haven't seen you pop up in like a, a Marvel or DC thing with every consummate. It's shocking. Actor, have you met with either of them about parts in, in any of these no, ginormous films? I don't know. I think that I think they have me tarred, avatared. <laughs> I think I've been avatared. <laughs> what about Star Wars? You could be like a grizzled, um, evil something. I, I, I don't see uh, any movie I see. Yeah. With a grizzled old something. Yeah. And I think, why am I not playing that part? <laughs> I'm back, you know, we're back to the envy thing no, again. No. So how come he's playing that part? I should be playing that part. I'm with you. you I'm know? your de facto agent. And then there are guys who are getting trying. like two grizzled, you know. It's like, <laughs> like Tommy Lee oh, Jones. He, yeah, he's Tommy's at the getting two high end yeah, of grizzled right now. <laughs> exactly. He's too grizzled. You need somebody a little less grizzled. No, that would be me. Yeah. You, you can know? jump around. And... who are not grizzled enough. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know. No, you're in that sweet spot. You're in that Tommy Lee circa fugitive grizzled stage where you can you can bust some heads exactly. and jump around. I can still I can still kick ass and jump around, you know, <laughs> with the help of a good stunt man. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, uh, putting a bow on this, uh, Beyond Glory. How are people going to be able to see this it's one? It's coming out on October fourth. On on iTunes, cool. and so I guess you can pre-order it. They we just the trailer just was put on the internet, and I and I hope maybe 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 my friend Josh Horowitz will put it on his <laughs> website to or talk to him. He's now known as uh, I, don't, I don't have a good nickname like slang. I need to my names are hard to conflate into one thing. I'll think about Jarowitz. That. Doesn't sound it. the same I, good thing. I, I mean, I was working with Ray Liotta uh, lately, and he was talking about he really likes the name slang, and he said, "What about?" Mine, I don't, I don't really have one. Some guys call me Ray Ray, but I don't know. and I said, well, how about Raylo? 
he, he is working with J-Lo, so exactly. why not? Exactly. <laughs> well, well, you know, and maybe you should have an affair with her, too. You know? <laughs> Didn't hurt anybody's career. Exactly. So, <laughs> so October 4th, October I'll look out 4th for it on, on iTunes. iTunes. And then on various other platforms, because I don't, you know, this whole way they're releasing films now is kind of beyond me, but <laughs> uh, Gravitas Ventures are the releasing company, and yeah. they seem to know what they're doing. And um, I'm sure, so VOD and everything, you won't be able to miss it. And hey, if it's in a theater, check it out. It's a, it's a, it's a good oh, don't film. breathe. Oh, well, that uh, well, don't breathe too. But I was saying Beyond Glory. But yes, uh, I don't know that you know. I don't know that Beyond Glory will get in a theater. Got it. You know the way it is these yeah, days. Yeah. And also, I don't want to walk into the AMC on you know on on, on Columbus and 68th for the three o'clock show and see that there's absolutely nobody. <laughs> There, Your fragile ego can't me. take it. I can't, I can't take that. <laughs> well, don't yeah. breathe. On the other hand, a different kind of a crowd pleaser will, I think, pack them in when it comes out. Uh, honestly, as a as just someone that in, both enjoys your work and just enjoys the art of film and it's it being done well in in that for that kind of genre and it even transcends that genre i think it's going to be a big hit it's a good one thank you i think so too and transcending the genre is exactly how i felt about it nice. when i read it when i worked on it and when i saw it excellent well one of the byproducts of working at mtv for years has been to get to know some actors that i greatly admire you've been really kind to me over the years you early on when we were starting to just do my silly sketches you were always game and did a couple really silly things with me that i'm always appreciative I know, of we're not doing one today this was this was me at my classiest this is my charlie rose version of myself <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry i'll get you into like a clown suit or something let's at do some something point. stupid soon sold sold that's old buddy uh it's good to see you um can i call you slang I wish you would. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks, brother. Thanks.